Hi, I'm Dr. Jane Leonard. I'm a GP and cosmetic doctor, and this is The Confidence Clinic. Every week, I'm going to be sitting down with different guests to talk about their life story. We're going to talk about how they got to where they've got, the challenges they've overcome along the way, and how confidence has played a role in their journey. Dentist to the stars with us here, Rona Eskander. A very polished pitch from Dr. Rona Eskander. She's got it perfectly. <laughs> Rona is a multi-award-winning dentist, an owner of the Chelsea Dental Clinic, co-founder of the toothpaste brand Parler. People often think success is all about the card that you were dealt. You can change the narrative of your own story. I really believe that children show character traits that we should never suppress. From the age of 11 slash 12, I knew I wanted to be a dentist. Nothing comes easy. You get rewarded for the hard work that you put in. And also, education is power. I was actually judged by parents at school. Even at that young age, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. It it wasn't until I was like 32 that I started to develop confidence as a woman. What is this BS that society yeah. has imposed on us? This might be a little bit of a controversial thing to say, but... Hi guys, welcome to the Confidence Clinic. Today I've got my good friend Dr. Rona Iskander joining me. Thank you for joining me, darling. It's so exciting. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> so let me give you a brief background, if I can brief, because you've achieved so much, about Rona's history. So Rona is a multi-award winning dentist. You're an owner of the Chelsea Dental Clinic. Yes. You're also co-founder of the toothpaste brand Parler. Yes. And you're also, there's lots of also's in this, the list goes on. <laughs> you're also regular in the media and on TV. You obviously take the expert position in shows like This Morning and often write articles and comment in magazines, no less than Vogue. And also been mentioned in Forbes, have regular things in high prestigious media work. So to kick things off, Let's go back, let's rewind a little bit to your childhood. Yes. What was little Rona like? Oh my gosh, little Rona was your classic bossy girl that loved being in front of the camera. And <laughs> no. it's so funny actually, Jane, because I really believe that children show character traits that we should never suppress, right? Because remember yeah. when you're a little bit naughty as a child, people will try to suppress that, particularly for girls. And I think like when yeah. you call someone bossy, it's quite negative, you know, like, oh, don't be like this. But actually... In hindsight, I think it shows sort of leadership skills of in a way because I wanted to kind of like run the show. Now, I was never very academic naturally. So for me, what it was like at school was that many teachers said that I wouldn't make it, even from a really young age, which I think, again, is like really detrimental. Yeah. But my parents were like, but how? You know, you've got so much personality. I was really outspoken in school. We actually, my childhood's quite interesting because I grew up in the Middle East. So my yeah. parents met in a hospital. My dad originally lived in the UK from the age of 20. He came to the UK with nothing but 30 pounds in his pocket. Really? Put himself through medical school and was your kind of like classic immigrant who came for a better future for himself and his family. He left the UK when he was 38. That's another story altogether. <laughs> he worked for many years on the NHS and in his own words, he couldn't find a wife because he just said it was so easy to be single in London. Can you imagine back in the 80s? Still, still. <laughs> Actually, he did say to me as well, he was like, there was no Tinder. And he goes, so I put an advert in the yellow pages. <laughs> he a, didn't. Yeah, for a, for a receptionist describing his perfect wife, like true story. <laughs> 
And he then went to a hospital in the Middle East, got offered a job opportunity, decided like he wanted a bit of a career change. That's where he met my mum and that's where I was born. We then moved to Bahrain when I was two years old. And Bahrain, it was actually in the middle of the Gulf War. So I do remember growing up in the Gulf War. It's, it's a really surreal thing to talk about now. And it's yeah. funny because your memory shuts these things out. But I remember walking with, running actually with gas masks from school and things like that. Oh, yeah. really? So... It's funny because your mind sort of blanks certain things, but I think about that as part of my childhood. And I think this whole idea of sort of survival has been with me yeah. for a really long time. But my dad came back to the UK, well, decided to bring us back to the UK when I was five years old. And the reason was because he wanted to provide better opportunities for me and my sister, particularly being women. You know, he wanted us to live in a democratic mm. society. So we came to the UK and... You know, it was obviously completely different to me. And again, school was really difficult. I struggled academically. But from the age of 11 slash 12, I knew I wanted to be a dentist. Right, that was one of my next questions. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was is that my aunt was a dentist and I was like, oh, this is really cool, I love it. And unlike you, who's a doctor, I hated medicine. The reason why I hated it is because I found it really broad. So when I'd done work it, experience- Yeah, and it is. You know, I found that it's just it's just a something that just was overwhelming. Also, there was something about being hands-on. I really like dentistry because you get sort of in there in the mouth. You're interacting with patients. And I found that medicine was a lot about diagnosis initially, like sort of prescription writing, a lot of yes. verbal sort of stuff going on. There are completely, I think, even though we do the same training initially for three years, don't we? It's the same thing, medics and dentists. And then we go our separate ways practically for obvious reasons. But the basis is the same, but the... The way you go after that's completely different. Completely, but also people think that we're not real doctors, which is lols. Because you know, <laughs> there was like, do you remember the scene in the Hangover? Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Well, they're like, is there a doctor? And there's like, no, a real doctor. <laughs> so you know, but for me, dentistry was something that I wanted to pursue. But I basically had to overcome a lot of obstacles and I think the biggest one was academia so for secondary school I basically didn't pass my 11 plus there was a secondary school that took in people that were sort of more creative and naturally I was always good at public speaking and drama surprise surprise and my I went to that school and Again, my parents worked really hard. We grew up in not such a nice area in London and my mum didn't want to send us to state school and the reason was because the state schools were really rough around yeah. us and she actually didn't have any qualifications to pursue the job that she initially wanted. She actually had a degree in nutrition from the States but it right. wasn't it wasn't viable in the UK. The other really important thing was is that it wasn't what it was now, you know, that people didn't want yeah. to pay for nutritionists and you know, it wasn't something that was valued. Anyway, so again, I saw my parents struggle. My dad was working on the NHS, you know, trying to sort of support a family of four. It was yeah. difficult, you know, really? back then. Yeah. yeah, you know what it's like. And I just thought hard work is all I saw growing up and value. Value yeah. was the most important thing. Nothing comes easy. You get rewarded for the hard work that you put in. And also education is power. And I think that's one thing that was really instilled with me. It wasn't are you going to university? It's which university yeah. you're going to. It wasn't even a yeah. quite like, you know, there was no chance I would have been not been allowed. And I think, you know, nowadays things have changed and people can definitely cultivate careers without having that education. But I think I'm grateful for my, to my parents in a way because I thought I have that power and knowledge. And I think you feel the same about medicine, yeah. regardless of what we see people do online. 
no one can take away our doctor degree. I think um, many people sometimes ask me, like, did you always want to be a doctor? And unlike you, I kind of didn't. I was a bit similar to you in that I wasn't really academic. And I actually was painfully shy. And it was just something that kind of switched in me. I think it was because, I don't know if I was getting bullied or something at the time, but it was like all my friends started going out and partying and what have you and I was just like the plain Jane literally in the corner that I was like right I might as well work and that was what led me into quite an academic path but similarly to you that it wasn't something that naturally came to me it was just a graph that was instilled like you that if you want something you've got to work for it and you've got to but also if you do work for it and you have that ambition and goal in mind there's no reason why you can't achieve it so it's interesting to hear that but also the trauma you know you describe things like as kids I think there's moments where you you can block out trauma that adults can't. I don't know what the neuro, neurological or neuroscience behind it is, but I know that's definitely a fact, that perhaps all what you described to me about the gas masks and running from things is so traumatic, particularly, well, for anyone, particularly at that age. You know what, and I think as well, it's a really interesting sphere because as I've grown up, I have recognised that traditional medicine really needs to incorporate functional medicine into every single aspect. And I think that you see that now, like you're a GP, I'm a general dentist, and so many diseases are actually linked to things that people maybe consider woo-woo or actually don't place enough emphasis on. So for example, things like stress and nutrition, which really isn't taught that well in dental or medical school, has such impact on the overall body and we're so used to firefighting and I think that's really you know how we cross paths as well for those that don't know because we connected on that different level we didn't always have to go to a textbook to find the answer you know and I think that now I'm seeing more and more professionals being like okay this person might have obesity and diabetes gum disease related to that yes yeah they could be on metformin and we could just firefight by doing deep cleans on their teeth but why are they obese why have they got type 2 diabetes what's their lifestyle like what's their diet like what are they depressed you know can they motivate themselves to lose weight to brush their teeth like it's such a multifactorial thing isn't it in picking the layers that create patients behavior and then lead to their outcomes and I always remember like when I was at medical school like learning lists of things that cause things like how it's so complicated how this leads to this and all the conditions and every time stress poor diet being overweight is always in there but they're the easy ones that we just like run off the top of our like our mind but actually do I put that into practice probably only now when I'm thinking really we're just going to continue to go right there's antibiotics here's antidepressants yeah yeah actually if the environment psychologically emotionally and what you're putting into your body and your body receives isn't firstly looked at and then the people, patients educated appropriately. It's a vicious cycle. And you're, well, the thing is, is that we're always treating the symptom, not the cause, right? Yeah. The symptom of depression, you know, is feeling low or unable to get out of bed, not being able to sleep, all those different things. So you give an antidepressant, but what's the cause of the depression? Yeah. If you see what I mean? And I think that that's a really interesting part. I do think though, you know, that things shape you in a certain way. So despite, look, at the end of the day, everybody has a degree of privilege, right? I mean, the fact that we can get, you know, have a warm bed to sleep in and food, et cetera. Like I have always been nourished by my parents. School was difficult though, because I wasn't as privileged as the other children. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, they couldn't afford the clothes to take me out. We didn't go on holiday. You know, they changed the narrative of their story later on in life. And, you know, they're living their best life now. But at school, you know, you remember those things as a child. And the interesting thing, 
thing was is that I was actually judged by parents at school. So for example, my parents couldn't pick me up because they were working full time. And so the other parents at the school were like, Rona's bad influence. We don't want you to hang out with her. They couldn't afford to send me to like after school club yeah. or like maths class or whatever. You know, it was literally like, I just go home. Uh, you know, the, the neighbor would pick me up or if they could get a nanny, she'd pick me yeah. up, etc. And you know what? Even at that young age, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove that I'm going to be more successful yeah. than all the kids you won't let me hang out with. And I think that it's that turning that into power. It's turning that pain into power sometimes. That can be your best friend and your enemy because now I do have that sort of perfectionism problem and that yeah. like need to kind of prove people wrong and always have that validation. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, as a child, I use that to push me further into kind of studying harder. That's mad how insightful, though, you were at that young age. Because I feel like as a person now from where I started from as a little kid, obviously the same traits, I'm still the same person, but I've evolved so much. But I was never that confident. I never had, I was never really ballsy. I kind of like ended up in situations where I kind of just had to kind of, you know, jump for it and be prepared to kind of fail or just not bother at all. But what gave you that confidence when you were so young? Do you know what? So this is this is an interesting one. So I think that it's more hindsight that made me recognise that I had some kind of insight, right? And it's about survival mode. At the end of the day, we are animals in an animal kingdom, okay? Obviously, we're different to animals in many ways, but there is something about survival of the fittest, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you're that age and you feel threatened or unsafe, you push harder to survive. And I think that's exactly what I did. I had to survive the situation yeah. that I was in. However, the real confidence came. So I was in this secondary school. It was a very creative secondary school. Um, it was a private school, but not many people got straight A's. In fact, I think me and three others for A-levels got straight A's. So it was non-academic. I actually ended up getting a scholarship at one point. But the reason was because one teacher believed in me. So the first two years of the secondary school, I barely got by. I was naturally quite good at maths. But... What happened was I started to really enjoy English literature. And English right. literature for me was really interesting because you'd analyse life, characters and people in a way that the other subjects didn't. You know, yeah, all you the, kind all, of pick these yeah, things apart yeah, and exactly. look at them in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, I really like it. And I had a really encouraging English teacher. And because of that, my grades went up because she was yeah. really positive and really encouraging, which again shows the impact of adult behaviour can have on a child. Then I basically met a guy called Daniel Murray. I don't know if you know him, but he's actually the co-founder of a brand called Heights. Right. Heights is a brain supplement, which is designed by neuroscientists, nutritionists, etc. And his kind of mission is to take down the supplement industry that doesn't provide the right nutrients in the right doses. Yeah. I'm sure and you know about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like literally. Yeah. So ultimately, I met him when I was 14 and... I, he went to a very academic school. We used to hang out and I found it really cool. He was a couple of years older than me that he got A's in his GCSEs and A-levels. And then what I saw was it gave him opportunity and choices yeah. because getting those grades meant that he was able to apply to the subjects that he wanted to in university. Yeah. And it also gave him sort of credibility and kudos. Now, that is not to say that academia is the only route and way, but that's what pushed me. Cause I was like, oh my God, Dan's done so well. Like I want to do dentistry. And if yes. I want to do dentistry, yeah. I have to get the grades. You can't become a dentist without, without getting an A exactly, yeah. in chemistry and biology. 
So then what I started doing was is working really hard and then working really hard led to the better grades. But that didn't mean sacrificing being cooler at school or, you know, playtime, etc., social life. But then the grades started coming and I was like, this is giving me power yeah. in some way. And I really, really enjoyed that. And they gave me confidence. But it didn't last for long okay, because on. when I started applying to dental school, as you know, it's a... It's a um, process with the interviews so I got yeah. two interviews Leeds and Bristol Bristol was my first choice I went to the Bristol interview pretty much dressed like this back then <laughs> you know not looking like your typical doctor and I think what was shocking was and I think you probably found the same Jane it was actually really stereotypical like yeah. there's almost like selection bias in dentistry yeah. and medicine where they choose the same type of person to yeah. be a doctor or dentist yeah, one point I wanted to really bring up with you is that I think many people will look at you as a role model for, but you know, they definitely will, um, for anyone, young girls, our young guys, anybody who wants to achieve something in something that, let's face it, is a really difficult career to get into. Not only getting into it's hard, staying in it's hard, and yeah. I'm just talking about uni, getting through the exams and doing all that, being selective, keeping up with what is necessary to stay on track. But what you've managed to do is create not only a, su a successful clinical career, so you've got your own practice, you're well established. Not only have you got your own practice, but it's booming with business, right? You're doing really well from that side. But also personally as a brand, you've managed to create a kind of personality that is seen as that. But I, what I want to know is that when when you achieve something like you have, often you've got a role model in mind yourself, so someone like you described Danny, as you saw what he was doing, reflect on his path and started to climb your own, not to follow his footsteps, but to get to where you want to go on your own path. But what really impresses me and inspires me about you is that you wouldn't have had a, um, um, an inspirational character to fit your exact mould of what you've created. So it's how you've kind of done it I suppose that what what inspired you without the obvious visual link or person to aspire to be do you know what the thing is is that I think it's about looking outside your world so when I didn't when I went to the Bristol interview and I felt uneasy because they weren't asking me questions that would direct them to whether I'd be a good dentist or not really it was very much like so where do you go on holiday and what do your parents do? it was the most odd interview and I didn't get in and it was absolutely yeah. like shattering shattered my confidence then I went to the Leeds University interview and I totally did what I they would expect so I dulled down no makeup right. hair straight back and I just basically talked about medicine talked about the NHS talked about that got in got a place and then when you get in you, then you think to yourself, okay, so I basically pretended to be someone I was not and that helped me get into dental school. Then I got to dental school. I was nothing like anyone in dental school. I had nothing in common with them. And again, all the dentists sort of like, oh, you know, you're a bit odd, you're a bit weird, naturally gravitated towards people that did English literature, drama, right, media. So really fit in to the classic medical dentist crew. Which I think yeah. that you can totally yeah. relate oh, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, neither did I. And the thing that struck me the most was that there was a real lack of empathy almost with in the dental arena so for example people that were aspiring to be dentists and doctors because you know we had the same sort of quarters at university yeah, yeah. what I mean by empathy is obviously you know they lack sort of they they show compassion in some ways but sometimes they don't and often you will hear people say this doctor or dentist was great but they had awful bedside manner and I think that's one of the most important things yes. when it comes to our profession because yeah. people buy into you as a 
human being. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They are, they trust in you because of the character and the compassion yeah, and, and how the you make yeah. them feel, not like what you stand for Correct. or what service you provide Correct. directly in terms of clinical work. Correct. I totally get that. And so I found it really inspiring being around people that were non-dental and non-medical. But what was really interesting is that I became really close to a group of people that were sort of displaying entrepreneurship from a young age. So what I mean by that is one of my best friends, he was actually forced into finance by his father. He comes from a lineage of finance. Yeah. And what he did was is that he was obsessed with magic. So when he was at boarding school, yeah, I mean, this is going to sound crazy to you. <laughs> when he was at boarding school, what he did was is that he used to sort of learn all of sort of Houdini's tricks and everything like that and created the magic society. So when he went to Leeds University, studied something related to finance hated it told his dad his dad was like absolutely not did work experience in the city hated it and then his dad was like so what's plan b and plan b he was like plan a is to, to do magic and he's like but i want plan b and he was like plan b is to keep working until it yes, works yeah and he went on to be one of the most world-renowned magicians you know yeah he's incredible he went on to do his own show for nat geo he did a show with disney oh he now God. practices in the middle east and he lives his dream and i was like this is amazing like you can literally carve your own path. Yeah. So I had him as a massive role model. And then he went on to kind of tell me about a lot of books. So I started reading things like Jack Canfield's The Success Principles. Right. Should read it. Yeah, have easy it. Read. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started reading other books, you know, like Tony Robbins, The Giant yeah. Within, Know Your Why, Simon Sinek, like all these different books. And I read... So like self-help are really, not a self-help, but like inspiration books. So Correct. some of them are, yeah. Correct. And People seems... only really get into that, like when they're... Or oh, the secret, like, yeah, right? Like right? life when yeah. something awful's happened or they're like thinking, why have I not done this? Rather than like planning. Do you know what though? I find really interesting. I don't know if you think this. Like people often think success is all about the card that you were dealt. So for example, they yeah. think that you you have a predetermined something in the in the universe that's like right. Jane is born now. Rona's born now. Yeah. This is the card that you're dealt. Justin Bieber, this is why you're yes. famous, because God decided you're going to be famous. Now, I think to a certain extent, some people might be luckier than others, especially if they're born into a certain environment. Yeah. I totally get yeah. that. However, you can change the narrative of your own story. Yes. And I think that's exactly it, because at some point, and you know, like I've seen your growth, Jane, you know, when you were working at Harvey Nichols yeah, initially, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you have completely carved out your own path since then, you know, enormously, because you make conscientious decisions. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what is easy to do sometimes is just life just takes you along. And then before you know it, you're looking back and wishing that you made changes. And to me, there's nothing worse than regret. And I think one thing that we're really fortunate about is being being doctors, being dentists. We meet so many amazing people that perhaps in, if I had not been a doctor and I stayed in St. Helens in a world where I would never meet people like yeah. you normally and all our peers and the people around us, I probably wouldn't be where I am now because I wouldn't have the same people inspiring me and looking at how they, what they do and how it creates things in their life and also learning from their mistakes. Like this is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. It's not just all about, right, success, well done. It's all amazing. It's actually the pitfalls and reflecting on things and picking yourself up and taking chances and risks and like learning from that, but developing from that rather than just getting your fingers crossed and going, right, this is what I'm going to do and let's see what happens. Yeah, and I think I'm going to ask you something there. Do you wish that some of the decisions that you had made now you'd made sooner? 
I don't think I would have been ready to do them sooner because I'm only able to do things like, you know, I said at the start I had loads of problems with blushing and confidence and shyness. And now I'm doing stuff like this and speaking on TV and speaking on camera and it doesn't really phase me like it used to. But that's been a work in progress. Yeah to achieve that probably the same with you like going the, the skills that you had innately like you when you said at the start you were a bossy little girl you had confidence but you've had to believe you've had to have experiences that built your self-belief and I think that is how you continue to grow you know what I think it's so funny though because I often look I think naturally in our job, right, we meet a lot of people that are successful because of the clinics that we built. And I often meet people that have created such enormous success at like young age. So one of my best friends, she has an incredible sort of fitness empire through social media. Yeah. And she's only 28. And I just think like, oh my gosh, I'm almost 10 years. Well, yeah, I I'm going to give myself yeah. credit, eight years, old, <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight years older than you. And you have achieved more than me. And I think that's dangerous, right? Because going yeah. into that stuff is I go into a bit of a compare and despair. And I was like, I wish I had the confidence at 27 to do the things I wanted to do. And I think the thing that held me back was the confidence, not confidence in front of the camera, because I think I've always had that, but it's more the confidence of taking those risks yeah. and just doing things on my own and putting myself out there. And breaking the mold, putting yourself out, doing something that not everyone's doing. Yeah. I think that, I think part of that though is also our job, because when you get into a career like we do, and I'm really grateful to have it and it's difficult to kind of do it sometimes day to day it's stressful work but actually it's a good job it's something that to think to try and do things laterally like we have like you can you know you could be a general dentist you're not your cosmetic dentist you you've got a presence in so many different things each little thing that you're doing to be good at not only takes confidence and self-belief also takes time because you're doing the other thing at the same time but I think also as well you know this this might be a little bit of a controversial thing to say but the sort of attitude that you cultivate during medical and dental school isn't really one of confidence particularly when you want to put yourself out there yeah. we are taught from a young age in our universities that you actually shouldn't put yourself out there you should just keep your head down get on with your work provide a service for the public and the NHS and then that's that yeah. and I actually think that's somewhat self-limiting because at the end of the day putting yourself out there allows you to speak to more people in the public because you know by you doing embarrassing bodies you probably have helped thousands if not millions yes. of people you cannot do that just by sitting in your of room course, only yeah. you know and I think that you of course there is a professional sort of standard that we need to maintain absolutely yeah and I always am conscientious of that you know we can't sort of be posting lingerie and bikini photos <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know on our, on our social media but having a social media and presenting information in the way that's easy to digest, even if that means doing a little like TikTok point yeah, or a dance, it's okay to yeah. do that. And it doesn't make you a bad clinician for doing yeah. that, you know? And I think there's still that stigma and taboo. Yeah, massively. Even like 10 years ago when I started doing Botox and fillers, I, I actually um, broke away from, not broke away, but left um, core medical training, which I was doing at the time because I wanted to do dermatology. That was looked at so badly, even by my colleagues. Like, yeah. what is this Botox thing? What do you think? And there was something in me then, like I wanted to prove them wrong. And yeah. it's one of those things then, you know, five years after that, they're wanting me to train you yeah, yeah. and do all those things. And it's like, actually, you know, I was the one who had the, was bold enough to do it. And also it's not... It, 
it, we make it look easy because we've got good at it. It's not just that easy now to go, oh, right, Jane, I'll just end up doing both sorts like you. Yeah. It takes bloody ages to get good at it. Yeah. And to be good with the patients. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And the thing is, is that we're always continuously learning. You know, yeah. people don't understand, I think, that the stress and strain, because putting yourself out there with the credibility that comes with it is actually a massive risk as well, yeah. you know, because we have to be conscientious about what we're presenting and how we're presenting information without being too controversial. Yeah. And I think that sometimes I find that challenging because I have loads of opinions on lots yeah. of different things. And I'm like, no, Rona, you can't do this because, you know, you have to make sure to stay in your space and, you know, you know, empower the public in the way that you want to. Whereas I think that perhaps if you're in a different career, you could just voice your opinion yeah, on everything, course, you know? Of course, yeah. I think in some ways it is a blessing in some ways that because having the DR, the doctor status in front of our name, does open some doors, I think, yeah. to some to some degree, but only within a certain circuit. Exactly. Sometimes it's like, because of that, what you're saying can be seen as misleading people or portraying yourself in a, in a way that you shouldn't. Exactly. And it does limit... It, yeah, and it, it, I think it limits you personally in some ways, not yeah. always professionally, obviously, if you're staying within that profession. But it's a pressure as well and a stress. 100%. One thing I want to touch on actually about social media and things like that. You've got a big following. You've gradually grown it. I don't know if you're gradually or not, but it, either way, you've developed yourself over time in that space. Unfortunately, what goes hand in hand with that is sometimes negative feedback, negative comments, people putting their opinions on you from behind a phone or computer screen, whatever. How do you deal with stuff like that and how do you stop it affecting your self-confidence? I think it's really hard and I don't think that I've really nailed it, you know. The first time that I was savagely trolled was in 2019 slash 20. And what happened was is that someone kept trolling me on my page and then I blocked them. They kept creating new profiles and then they started trolling my sister and my mum. And I think that was the really oh, hard God. part. And it was around Christmas. You know, they were really, really trolling me around Christmas Day. I was really sick with COVID and it got so bad that I went to the police because I could not handle the impact that it was having on my mental health. And I actually hired a private investigator really? because I got so upset. Set. Yeah, because it went on for months. Eventually, I was like, I'm so done with this. And you know, oh God. and imagine though, that's just a tiny part of what other people go through. And I just and what no one sees. And it's just no one sees. No one to sees. Feel, to feel the need, oh, and rightly so, to have to get the police involved and even go beyond them with a the private investigator. Yeah. That must have just been all encompassing. Yeah, you? it really is. And I think it's something that I still struggle with, you know, and because. I suffer still with sort of needing validation in terms of like confidence. I don't focus on on the good stuff. I focus on the negative yeah. comments and start to question myself. Since that whole private investigator thing, nothing really major has happened. Often you'll get someone sort of disagreeing with you or making comments, etc. But it's not as bad as it used to be. And, you know, I think that it's all about training yourself to deal with yeah. it head on and also developing a bit of a thicker skin but it's really interesting this will really interest you so I was obviously away for bank holiday and a friend of mine had sent me a meme you know these like massive meme accounts that have um yeah. I don't know you know you send them to people now one of them was like the dating pool for men when it comes to women and sort of like the things that were wrong with women and it had loads of different things did you see this meme no so it had sort of a, the cartoon of I think it was like Bambi and like loads of the different animals and it was showing different like, had like yeah. different words to it so it was like tiktokers only fans um you know, divorced um, kids, 
and it had loads of different things and obviously people were really engaging with it and they had like a version for women as well like as men and women but one of the things that said on there was 34 and for me I was like oh that's really weird like why would 34 be an issue you know the other things I was like they shouldn't be an issue as well but I guess you know for some people they are but I think what really was hard for me was the confidence that I needed to develop as a woman who was over 30, not married yeah. with children. Well, I mean, I'm 39 yeah. in, that, in those same shoes. Yeah. But it's weird, actually. I kind of... You don't care anymore. Something switched in me to not care, but I don't know what it is. So this is the interesting thing. So this get, brings me on to my next point. So from the age of... So I had a long-term boyfriend for seven years at university from 21 to 20... Sorry, for six years, 21 to 27. Same. I, yeah. yeah, and my parents put massive amounts of pressure on me to get married and have kids. And they, they're Middle Eastern. My dad is also a gynecologist. So he was very much like you're in your prime in your 20s after 30 life is going to be harder from a fertility point of view blah 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 so I panicked when I was single at 27 and I spent the next three years of my life literally trying to find a husband is in it what I mean by that is is that every relationship or every encounter I had during dating was like what's your life goals are you looking for something serious I never went through that whole like fun stage just having date to have like dating to have fun being right. alone etc you were looking for the goal again the end point, the goal correct like you were almost career wise but also that was massively trying to satisfy society right because yeah. society still places that narrative and then I ended up actually in a very sort of narcissistic relationship with someone that treated me really badly trying to force it into marriage and thank god I didn't marry yeah. him because he was awful and then at that point I hit 30 and I was like do you know what like stop it and then I hit that and then I ended up again trying to force these situations with people that weren't good for me and then I was 31 I was like you know what I'm 31 now what am I gonna do kill myself no yeah and the weird thing was it wasn't until I was like 32 that I started to develop confidence as a woman my career started boom, booming. I felt like I definitely had a bit of a glow up as well, despite what yeah. everyone says. I was like, I look I, better I, now. I look better Do you know what I mean? Than you know? I did when I was like in my yeah. 20s for sure. And I was like, what is this BS that society yeah. has imposed on us? So I started to develop the confidence. And now, you know, I'm 36, but I ended up in the healthiest and best relationship that I've ever been in from 33 when when I met him. You know, I think that he's going to be my life partner because yeah. he's incredible. And I just stopped putting all that pressure on me. But for some reason, when I saw that meme and it said 34, I was like, oh, oh gosh. I was like, is this an issue? Yeah. But, but I piped up and I said, why is 34 an issue? Like, lol. And a woman had replied and said... Oh my God, it was awful, Jane. She replied saying, basically, you've passed your prime after 34, lower fertility rates, less desirable to men, ran over. I was like, what does that mean? Ran over? Do you know what that means? I had to Google it. Do you know what it means? No, what? It means, or ran through, ran through. (laughs) Do you know what that means? So basically, I don't even want to know. Yeah, like you ran through the numbers. So basically, like you've been around more. Do you see what I mean? Oh. Like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, this is so horrendous. And I don't agree with anything. So anyways, I tried to sort of deflate her points and said, you know, I'm 36. I've been happier than ever. I yeah. own three businesses. Uh, and uh, my confidence has grown. And I feel like, you know, better than ever. And she goes, that's great for you, hon. But I think this is a coping mechanism. Because not in that sentence have you said that you're happily married with children. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, Karen. Like, let's yeah, calm exactly. down. Yeah, but it was uh, really shocking to me. And then suddenly there were these all these like 18-year-olds coming at me. And it was more like the narrative they were giving was very much the Andrew Tate narrative. Do you know about Andrew Tate? Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's not get into too much airtime. Yeah, yeah. yeah, We don't need to give too much airtime. But it was all that narrative about like a woman, like a high value woman being younger. And it was just crazy to me to think that there are still people out there that think that way. No, you're right. It's social media as well. It just fuels this comparison culture on any level that it can be brought in. And it's just a way of people like looking at themselves in only negative light. Yeah, yeah. It's just And it's just so not tricky. I mean, I know lots of people who settled down who were like say like us who got out of relationship when they were I don't know 28 or I think I was at the time or might have been even close to 30 but that relationship just wasn't right for me but other people who were in the same on the same page at that time stayed in it some worked out some didn't you can't just blanketly yeah, go yeah you know it, it depends which way your path is going also where you are like I feel I've changed loads the person just by and naturally change, not change myself to, oh, right, I'm single now or I'm, I want to do this career. I feel I've naturally evolved and grown into myself. So the relationships I was in then and the things I wanted and the things I could have potentially given to a relationship are completely different to what I would bring to the table now. So I think that is why I've ended up where I am. Maybe that's an excuse. I'm sure those people say it was. But um, that's, for me, how I see it. But I think everyone's got a different journey. It just depends. And it depends on what you want, you know. I think a lot of the things that we've achieved, I couldn't have done what I've achieved being with someone at the same time because I've had to give everything to some of these goals. And like you said, if you come from a privileged background, and again, now we're all privileged to some degree, I there would have been, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had to graft as hard and do a job on the side and try and do properties and try and do this just to keep this momentum going of creating the person I am sat next to you now. But, but you it know, it's, it's purpose as yeah. well, though, because I think, like, it wouldn't be fair to say, like, it, some women, they genuinely feel their life purpose is to raise a family. Exactly, and yeah. that's absolutely fine. Agreed, But yeah. I think it's, like, wrong to assume that every single person has the same goalposts, you know? My goalposts are a career. Does that mean that I don't want a family for my career? No, of course I do. Yeah. I do want a family. And can I have both? I do believe I ha- can have both. Do I think that my career is going to take a back step when I do bring up a family we'll have to you know yeah. biologically as women it's going to do yeah, you see what course, I mean and yeah. that's the reality of the situation but it's not us like kind of bypassing or being blindsided about it it's just going well we just have to work it out our own way exactly. and it's this pressure that comes externally I mean that just sounds mad yeah I mean that brings me on to our next point naturally so there's something that you and I have both done is frozen our eggs yeah. and I should have done it ages ago you did you were a lot smarter yeah. than me and did it a, had my dad in my ear had yeah. my dad in my ear yeah <laughs> but saying I mean I was lucky I got a good result and it really made me it made me take a back step and really appreciate my body and think god I've worked so hard I've partied I've been in London I've done all this stuff that potentially could have put a lot of pressure on me which it did actually yeah but luckily my body's still ticking away my ovaries are still working had a great result during the process but also mentally it made me realize look um you know I'm fortunate to be able to have a baby what were your thoughts about it and how was your thought process during it and after it? Because we both know it has, it can take its toll on us. So really interesting. So my dad was the one that was just like, listen, I'm not going to put pressure on you anymore. You're 32 though. This is the time to do it. And yes. I mean, it was a lucky position. He co-owns a fertility academy. So I was like, fine, let's do it. Went in, did all the scans and everything. It was a little bit scary sometimes when you kind of realize what's going on, like you, I had a really great result. But you know, like one of the hormones, which is normal, it was a normal thing had like declined slightly. And I was like, okay, fine, this is this is just, you know, what happens. 
The actual egg freezing process, I didn't find hard, the injections, but I froze eggs, you froze embryos. And I know there's different things yeah. for that. They say embryos have a better success rate, but now with the egg freezing process, it can be as successful with the yeah, thawing process yeah, and exactly. everything. There's, there's many different things. I think I did that just because of an age thing. So I did it because I do have a partner. I did not want to pressure him into this decision, but also I was being a little bit realistic and scientific for a couple of reasons. Number one, I had read that whole like Sophia Vergara story. Do you know about this? No. Oh my God, do you know who she is? from Modern Family the like really like sexy Spanish one you'll know her I you'll think know so her. Yeah, yeah 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 so she was 40 <laughs> and she had a young partner and froze her embryos and yeah. then they split up and then it went to court and he wouldn't let her of use course, yeah, them exactly. yeah exactly so I was a bit worried about that I love my partner I think we're going to be together you forever know. you never know what's yeah. going to happen and I think that's you know the real reality of it so I thought I just want the eggs just in case and I know that the eggs are going to be mine I don't want to you know have to go down this sort of scary legal route so that's the reason I chose to do it. Now, in terms of giving myself the injections and so forth, I found it fine. What I found really harrowing was the after. Same. So after the egg collection, my body reacted really badly. Like I put on a lot of weight. I don't know if you were the same. I just felt like unbelievably tired. Yeah. yeah. And I did, I, it was more bloating with me. I felt like... It felt, oh, I, I yeah. erupted. I had, you know, I had that rare thing. What what happens when you kind of like... Hyperstimulate. Yes, I was hyper... I had to hyperstimulate. Honestly, like you've seen, yeah. you've seen me at the gym, babes. Yeah. My stomach was like out here and it would not go away for like yeah. two, three weeks. I don't know if and it, it was the same. I was like that in my lower sort of pelvic area, definitely. I was swollen. And it's, yeah, because it's not... It's not like fluid, essentially, no. or, or fluid in the normal way blows that you get during your cycle. Yeah. It takes time to add it. It's, it's fueled by the hormones. If you think, you, my estrogen levels shot up so high, and like anything, what comes up must go down, yeah, yeah. and the process of those levels falling I literally made me feel like hell yeah so I think it's something not to be taken lightly and I know lots of women have also said a friend of mine that she found it really hard doing it as well single I don't know what your experience was because yeah. she said that it, the hormone, home hormone situation was so harrowing that it also made her think a lot about a partner and whether she'd want to have a baby yeah. on her own etc etc so I think it's something that definitely needs to be addressed and talked about women are prioritizing things later on in their career but yeah. we have to understand biological boundaries and if you do happen to meet your partner when you're 41, 42, yeah. etc., and that your eggs have declined, you've got that safety insurance. Exactly, yeah. So I think that stigma just needs to be removed. Totally. I, f I just felt so fortunate to be able to do it. Mm. And it's one of those things like the process, it, as long as like, you know in your head that it's hormones, it's not necessarily a natural thing to go through to essentially pump yourself through all those hormones, stimulate all your follicles to come forward, have them removed, and then go through the process of the levels falling. Exactly. It's such, on anyone, it's a massive toll it takes on your body. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And you're right, it, it can be quite isolating because you can't do the normal things. You've got to really, like I was going to bed dead early, because I had to because it wears you out so much yeah. you know you can't you have to eat really well you, you just have to look after yourself which you should be doing anyway but it just means there's limiting factors within it 100%. and that can lead to loneliness and, and isolation totally. at that time and because not many people talk about it or share it, it that's even compounded 100%. further with that 100%. I think it's just something that the main thing it showed me is that lots of people even me as a doctor and I know all the information on paper scientifically you don't often pair that up to, with, practically exactly. with your life and the way your life is moving 100%. forward so that was the only thing I feel like I was lucky enough not to have missed a boat exactly 
But I mean, it's just such an unknown. You just don't know until you address it. And it's that fear factor of like, if you know, if things didn't work out as well, it's not necessarily something at any point I'd want to face. Exactly. But the other thing is just empower yourself. Yeah. Go and get yourself checked. Because if you don't want to freeze your eggs, understand your situation. You know, I have some friends, really rare, but they've gone through early onset menopause at 33. So, you know, she had, this friend of mine, she had two eggs and they had to implant one and she got a baby from that and she's so lucky but the thing is if she didn't go for that scan she would have never known because she wasn't planning to have a baby do you see what I mean so it's just getting having that knowledge to empower your decision yeah and I think that's the main message actually I think if you're thinking those thoughts that you want to have a child but maybe your path leading up to it isn't there yet maybe you're still single maybe your relationship isn't working out maybe there's things preventing you from yeah. doing it. it's just having that foresight to go at least explore it at least go and find out where you stand in terms 100%. of where your fertility is and then at least you feel comfortable to make decisions and even if it doesn't always have to be negative it just means 100%. you might have to act quicker or put a backup plan in yeah. place which let's face it, it's taken away a lot of anxiety for me yeah just facing the fear but even even you know now if you if you're dating and in a relationship yeah. you're not going to start pressuring that exactly. partner i'm not gonna right that's yeah, it. yeah you'll be like okay let's just see how it goes is this the right person for me and then you can cross that yeah. bridge because it's not fair on them in some way yeah. either yeah 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 100 i agree with that just in some other points, I suppose. So like confidence-wise, we've discussed lots about how your confidence has changed throughout your life and the different sort of journeys you've been on. So anyone listen to this, any tips or confidence? Like, Because as much as we talk about highs and lows of life, how do you get yourself out of a funk maybe if you're feeling stressed, under pressure, anxious, to build yourself up and keep the momentum flowing in terms of your own self-belief and self-confidence? So I think one of the top things that I could say is lean into discomfort. I think, you know, we've definitely become a society where we don't want to feel pain. We just want to feel pleasure constantly, whether that's uploading a social media picture, you know, going out and drinking, etc. You know, all those different things. We literally are like, oh my God, pain. No, 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 I don't yes. want to feel it. And I think it's about leaning into that discomfort and also understanding that if things don't go your way, it's okay to feel that uncom- discomfort. It's also okay to feel like you're not going to make it. Yeah. And it's also, okay to give yourself time to heal but it's important that if you want to reach your goal to consider pivoting what do I mean by pivoting change your course of direction that you've already gone in so for example we've already discussed this right I recently joined a company where I was like right I have been doing my own media I really really feel passionate about media media was where I wanted to be since I was a child and it comes naturally to you yeah totally and I remember standing outside ITV when I was um, in my early stages of my career waiting for Zoe Williams to come out the door so I could talk to her and force her to go for coffee with me basically and I said I want to do it how have you done it you know finding those role models that I've really seen that you never had up until now yeah yeah and then I realized okay I created my own opportunity I I presented myself to ITV I gave them ideas that was the same for BBC etc and then this year I'd said oh you know what I want to do even more TV and I'm putting out to the universe and I said okay great so I, I decided to join an agency who are very well known for certain people and it's been one of the most soul-destroying experiences because, number one, I put a lot of faith and belief in them based on their reputation yeah. and their clientele. Number two, a lot of money went into it. Number three, I gave them a lot of ideas and I got absolutely nothing from it. Now, I could be like, woe is me, this is so awful. And yeah, I did have those moments of like, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe this yeah, is my destiny. Yeah, that's how it makes you feel. So that's how it makes you feel. But then I decided to pivot. I said, hey guys, thank you very much, but maybe this isn't going to work out because 
you know, it's just not the right fit. Yeah. So they may not be the right fit, but I'm not going to force the shoe to fit. And I decided... And also not make it a reflection on you. Exactly. It and isn't. Yeah, and exactly. And that was the point. So I decided to pivot. So by pivoting, I'm like, okay, create your own social media platform even further. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to do more of my YouTube, more of my TikToks, create more content on podcasts, etc. Yeah. And then when I find the right person, I know I've built up my own thing. And you know that is based on your thoughts, your ideas, your whole like 360 view. Exactly. And then they can see that clearly and then hopefully run with that rather than try and build you up in a direction. But I'm not going to wait for yeah. them. Exactly. I'm going to yeah, do it exactly. myself. You That's know. really good advice, actually. The other thing is that I would say is have systems in place. And what I mean by systems in place is that once you start creating daily systems, which form sort of habits as well, you're going to feel a lot better. So for example, for me, I have my non-negotiables in the morning. When I wake up in the morning, I have to journal and I have to go to the gym. Okay. If I don't do those two yes. things, my morning is set out really, really badly. And it's also about drinking enough water. I know that's so weird. But those yeah. little systems, it's not about that pressure. Like you, sh you should do things you enjoy. So for example, if you don't like going to the gym in the morning, that's absolutely fine yeah. but create something that you have to do every single day that yeah. makes and you feel good and routine is so important just to keep you on track and create habits that you know you're mindfully creating habits rather than just letting the day unfold and run away but with be you. sustainable in your habits do you see what I mean because I can't be like oh in the morning I'm gonna do an hour and a half of exercise I'm gonna yes. do I'm gonna do versa and then I'm gonna do reformer no I'm realistic I'm like if I manage to do 45 minutes in the morning four times a week and be accountable yeah. to it it's doable do you see what I mean absolutely so I think it's about having those habits that you can also stick to and not being too hard on yourself and the mindset that puts you in when you take those two little things off in the morning just by even like saying right I'm gonna get up at this set time every day that even though you want to stay in bed or you may be tired like no this is what I'm doing once you've done that and you've you started the day off really well it can only go well from that point and what I've definitely learned from doing that is it's really shown to me what self-belief is yeah doing those little tiny things even though they seem small are keeping promises to yourself 100%. and how you believe into yourself and how you judge yourself into what you can do and again indirectly building confidence is that every day I say I'm going to do this and every day I'm doing it every day I'm getting better and every day I'm achieving something so you start to believe in yourself and it's not about the big achievements that kind of show that to you it's consistently working towards things and like you say small habits rituals non-negotiable routines is a really good example of that yeah and that's the thing it's just about be keeping those little promises to yourself but also not being too hard on yourself if you can't achieve certain things you know but we can always find like five to 30 minutes a day to at least course, do one yeah. thing that we feel is good for us you know I think also the other thing that I'd say for confidence is gratitude and that's also just being grateful for the small things in life so for example taking a step back and it doesn't have to be gratitude for these massive achievements that you see online for example today what am I grateful for I'm grateful for the fact that I had a really delicious like oat milk flat yeah. white and that I've come to sit with you Jane today yeah, exactly. two things to be proud of today you know they yeah, might exactly. seem like little things to people but I, I love it yeah and you could be grateful for things like your dog your mum your dad yeah. sunshine in it's pick everything exactly yeah. and I think that builds up confidence in things that you're doing but you can't be looking at always the bigger goals and the bigger picture I think write it down because my goal for example my big goal was always to have more media experience and create those opportunities but it doesn't mean that every single day I'm going to kill myself if I don't do that do yeah. you know I will be working towards that every single day in the back of my mind and that's all about manifesting and the secret as well 
Yeah, I mean, and to your point with all that, it's all almost being kind to yourself, like keeping on track, doing yeah. the things. But sometimes you need to look after yourself as well, like doing doing things that get the day off right, keep your mindset on track, but it's also looking after yourself, like 100%. not not killing yourself to do things when your body just needs a rest or you need to give it what it needs to function. Sure. And that's sleep, eating well, exercise. Yeah, 100%. Self-love. Yes. Self-care. Well, I think we're just about running out of time that I could literally um, be you all day. Me I was like, there's so many other things we could talk about. But yeah. thank you so much Thanks, for joining Jane. me. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and for being so open and honest and everything that you shared, I'm sure, can really, really help loads of people. So thank you again. Thank you, Jane. You're we'll have amazing. to do round two, I think. Yeah, we'll have to. <laughs> thank you for having thank me. You, Honestly, thank you, Thank you.